Tutu Duga, I've told you about him before. He's tight. I mean, he's so tight, he hold on to every penny. I mean, he just don't let go. Well, one day he walked in the dentist's office with a grimace on his face. He looked at the dentist and he said, Doc, how much you charge to pull a tooth? And Doc said, well, if I use that uh, nitrous oxide gas, I, I charge you $100. Whoo, Tutu said, oh, that's too much. That's too much. He, Tutu said, Doc, what if you just give a couple of shots of that Novocaine? How much it would be then? Then a scratch his head. He said, well, I, I guess I could do that for $50. Whoo, Tutu said, that's still too high, too high. Doc, what about if you just pull the tooth? No gas, no Novocaine, just pull it just like that, get it over with. Whoo, the dentist say, well, Tutu, I got to tell you, I admire your bravery and your courage to do that. He said, I guess I could pull that tooth like that for about $20. Suddenly, Tutu turned around and he opened the front door of the dentist's office and he hollered outside, Viola, babe, come on in. The doc said he got a chair open for you right now. <laughs> oh. Tutu. That's Kanai. Oh, that's Kanai. Speaking of Kanai, Junior and his girlfriend, Petit, Sitting on the front porch swing at night, looking at the moon and the star, and it's so romantic. Suddenly, Junior, he get down on his knees, and he grabbed Petit's hand, and he said, Petit, I love you more than anything in the world, and I want you to marry me. Now, he said, I know I'm not rich. I'm poor, me. I'm poor. I'm not rich like that T-boy LeBlanc who have a brand new pickup truck and who have a big shrimp boat and a beautiful camp on Grand Isle. I'm poor, but I love you with all my heart. And Petit say, well, Junior, I love you too. But tell me a little bit more about this T-boy LeBlanc. <laughs> oh, that's what I'm talking about. Can I? Can I? As I was meditating on this week earlier to uh, what I was going to speak today, the Lord began to deal with me about, about a, a, a topic, finishing well. I preached this message before, and I, would just, uh, I felt that I wanted to share it with you. I want to talk about finishing well. He was affectionately known as America's dad. From 1984 to 1992, he played the role of Dr. Cliff Huxtable on TV. He won five Grammy Awards as a comedian and won three Emmy Awards as, for his role in the TV series I Spy. He received, and this is impressive, he received more than 50 honorary degrees from universities across America. 
However, this past May 3rd, a jury found him guilty of drugging and sexually assaulting women. The New York Times described the verdict as capping the downfall of one of the world's best-known entertainers. And now at 80 years old, he could get up to 10 years in prison and pay thousands of dollars in fines, possibly meaning that he could end his life behind bars. How tragic. It seems clear that Bill Cosby's life will not finish well. This captured, this story captured my imagination. At what point in life do you start thinking about finishing things rather than starting things? At one time, starting was all I thought about. Starting college, starting a marriage, starting a family, starting a job, a ministry. But I've got to tell you, and you probably you know, don't have to use much imagination to guess this, I'm no longer at that point. These days, I think more about finishing things than starting. And some of you here might say, well, you know, I'm at a point in my life that I don't want to even be thinking about finishing. I'm, I'm all about starting. This is just the start. I've got things ahead, things in front of me. But this morning, whether you're young or old, I hope to provoke you to think about finishing well. Christian Apologist, one of the guys, I have a podcast that I listen to um, often, uh, Robbie Zacharias, a Christian apologist, said this, beginning well is a momentary thing. Finishing well is a lifelong thing. One of the sad stories of the Bible is found in 1 Samuel. And his story covers all the way from chapter 9 in 1 Samuel through chapter 31. But it's a sad story. It's the story of Saul, who was the first king of Israel. And Saul started well. Everything about his character, his heart, his attitude, even his appearance said, this guy is going to do well in God's kingdom. But what went wrong? We look at the beginnings of his story in chapter 9, and it says that Saul was tall. And I, and I, I was reading this again uh, yesterday, and it said that he was more handsome than anyone else in all of Israel. Among the hundreds and thousands of men in Israel, he was the most handsome. It seems that also Saul, in chapter 9, verse 5, that he was more concerned about others rather than himself. He was in search, you may remember, of his father's donkeys. His father had sent him and a servant to go looking for the donkeys that had ran away. And after they were gone for several days, he told the servant, he said, you know, he said, we must hurry and return to my father for he will be more worried about us than his donkeys. He was concerned about his dad. He was humble. Chapter 10, verse 22 says, when Samuel the prophet signaled him out, in fact, uh, God had told Samuel that, that 
he was going to the next day find this young man, Saul, who was going to be the next king. And, and when Samuel the prophet came upon him, he invited him to a banquet, and, and Saul was reluctant. He said, who am I? You know, I'm a Benjamite, which is the, the least of the tribes of Israel, and I'm one of the least in my tribe. Why, why are you making this big to-do about me? He was humbled. Another time when, when they were actually going to anoint him, pour the oil and anoint him as king, it says they couldn't find him. This is hilarious to me. They, they, you know, they, they were making this, uh, the prophet was making this announcement that I, God has chosen a king, and here he is. And they were looking around, and they couldn't find him. So they sent guys out looking for him, and he was hiding among the baggage because he, he, he was so humble and so timid. Another reason that he started out well, another indicator was that he was anointed by God. In chapter 10 and verse 1, it says the prophet Samuel poured oil on him and said, The Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance. This guy is going to do well. He's going to succeed. He started out well. But along the way, some things began to change in his heart and life. Not for the better. And Saul's life did not end well. I think that's tragic, don't you? He had so much potential. Everything about his life and everything that, that, that had brought him to this place of leadership said, this guy is going to do extremely well. He's going to be the best. But his life did not end well. In 1 Samuel 13, and, and that's what I want to really use as a text today. I don't know if they have it on the, the screen, but if you would turn in your Bibles, if you want to, uh, 1 Samuel 13 and verses 3 and 4, and I'm going to go ahead and read that. Verses 3 and 4, and Jonathan attacked. This is Saul's son. Saul was now king for three years. Jonathan Saul's son attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Saul blew the trumpet. Now all Israel heard it and said that Saul had attacked the garrison. There was another incident where actually Jonathan succeeded and, and won a battle, and Saul took the credit. He began to like it. Saul began to like it when people praised him. There was a, a, another point in this story that said that Israel, the, the women in Israel sang this song, Saul has slain his thousands. And Saul began to like that song. Could it be that that was an indicator of where he was going off a little bit? Instead of being humble as he started out, he began to be filled with pride. Pride came in. And pride is when you begin to believe that what you have gained, what you've achieved, what you've accomplished, is by your own strength. Your own talent, your own ability or wisdom. It leaves God out. I believe that actually pride is often a, a gateway to deeper sins. In Ezekiel chapter 16, it lists the six sins of Sodom. And when I say Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom, what comes to your mind? 
is perversion and sexual sin. But Ezekiel lists the six sins of Sodom that brought God's judgment. And the first one that is named is pride. Could it be that when we encounter, when we hear about the story of Sodom and, and the encounter with the angels, uh, uh, the perversion and, and how God had to bring judgment, that was the end result. The beginning of Sodom's pride, could it, uh, uh, sin, could it be pride? Could it be that they began to be puffed up and lifted up, not giving regard to God, but thinking that whatever they had, whatever they've accomplished, they were a beautiful city on the shores of, of a sea, uh, uh, which is now the Dead Sea, but at that time it was alive and, and well. And, and, and they, could it be that they've said, look at what we have. Look at what we've accomplished. Pride. Saul started out well, but he began to like it when people praised him. Pride began to come into his life. There's a tragic story in, that I know about in, in my lifetime, and it's about a young pastor who was in our circles. Actually, he was in Texas, not anywhere around here. But uh, this young man was a youth pastor, and then he felt that God was putting in his heart to start a church. And so he went to a town that he felt God had led him to, and uh, he, he started a work, and, and, and he did it from scratch. He went to a motel and this little kind of a, almost, I saw the motel, it's kind of a rundown little motel. They, they opened their doors and they allowed him to have services. And he began to have services and he was hardworking and very, very talented. He was, he was loved. When, when you would get around him, he was, you know, he had an attractive, a charismatic kind of personality. And he began to visit and knock on doors and, and met at this little motel and God began to bless and he began to grow, and soon they grew out of that little motel room, and they, they built a building that would seat maybe 150, a couple hundred people, I don't exactly remember. But I, I began to, in our circles, in our ministry circles and church circles, there began to be a buzz about him. He became a rising star in our church circles. And so uh, they, they built this church, and they went to two services. They were, they were filling up this 150, 200 uh, auditorium twice. Uh, you know, and, and, they, and so they were going to have this big Easter service, and they were anticipating. They had just flooded the, the community with flyers, and, and there was a real buzz in the community. There's a momentum. And uh, they said, you know what? We won't be able to house the crowd. We're going to have one service. We won't be able to house the crowd in our little 200-seat auditorium. So they got the, the high school stadium, and they were anticipating. In fact, I remember I was going through and I said, how many do you think you'll have? He said, we're, we're believing God for 700. 700. You know, we already have about 350, 400 people, but we're believing God for 700. 1,500 people showed up on that Easter Sunday at that high school stadium. And it was just, I mean, from there, they built a big auditorium that seated hundreds, and it was just going good. But all of a sudden, uh, in fact, uh, and several uh, of my contemporaries, my peers, began to notice that he began to be prideful, began to just be prideful and, and, and just talk about what he had done and what he, you know. And then and all of a sudden, uh, he, he announced that he didn't love his wife anymore and he wanted to do away with his wife. And, and older pastors began to counsel him and say, man, you know, you're, you're going off. No, 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 no. He said, I want my wife, I want my kids and I want my church, but I don't want my wife anymore. 
He started out so well, but he allowed pride. Saul loved it when people began to praise him. Pride was his downfall. Pride. Humility is a magnet for God. I want to tell you that. Stay humble. If God has put you in a place of any kind of leadership, whether it's, it's music or whether it's speaking or preaching, I want to tell you the, 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 the key to ending your ministry, the key to ending your life well is to stay humble. Stay humble. Hum, humility. James chapter 4 and verse 6 says, God resists the proud. You ever put two magnets together and, and they just push against each other? There's a resistance. God is repelled by pride, but he gives grace to the humble. It's like humility is a magnet for the grace of God. If you want the grace of God, the anointing of God, the power of God to remain in your life, stay humble before God. Humility is a recognition. Humility is an acknowledgement that if I have succeeded or if I've achieved or if I've accomplished anything worthwhile, I owe it all to God. Some of you in the, were around in the 70s might remember Andre Crouch. I think about that song, To God Be the Glory. He sang, the voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am or ever hope to be, I owe it all to God. And then some of you might remember a song older than that. I, you know, I don't want you to admit your age, but Mylon Lefevre sang, Without him, I could do nothing. Without him, I'd surely fail. Without him, my life would be drifting like a ship without a sail. Stay humble before God. Saul started out well. Number two, another indicator that Saul's life was changing not for the better. It's verses 8 and 9. It says, Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel the prophet did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. The people that were gathered to Saul began to scatter because Samuel tarried. They were waiting for Samuel to come and offer the sacrifices. So verse 9, Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offering here to me. And Saul, which was unlawful, offered the burnt offering. So number two is in a stressful in a crisis situation, he chose to do what he felt, what he felt was right instead of standing in obedience to God. Saul offered the sacrifice himself instead of waiting for the prophet. When asked later in a few verses down why he would presume, why did you presume to do such a thing? In verse 12, he replied, well, I felt compelled in other words, it's okay because it was what the situation called for. I just had to do what was needed. He caved in to expediency. He caved in to peer pressure. He caved in to what was convenient at hand. 
But this was just the beginning of a pattern of disobedient behavior that Saul continued. Another time in chapter 15 and verse 3, Saul was given instruction by God through Samuel the prophet to totally destroy the Amalekites. In verse 9, Saul said, it says of Saul rather, that he kept some of the choicest cattle and spared King Agag. Just We've got to do this because, and, and, and again, Samuel said, why did you do that? He said, because we, you know, we, we wanted to do that. This is what the situation called for. But that's not what God said. And then another time in a later chapter, Saul sought wisdom and guidance from a fortune teller. Big no-no. Something which God had strictly forbidden. So Saul started out well. But he was going up bad direction. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 25 said, There is a way that seems right unto a man. It's expedient. It's politically correct. It's the way that everything is going. We've just got to go that way. But it's not what God said. In the end, it's the way of death. In my lifetime, I don't know that I've ever seen a time that more Christians... More churches, pastors, people are beginning to follow political, social, cultural correctness rather than follow what God has plainly subscribed. I get, I receive some, some podcasts and things like that that have to do, uh, it's, it's Christian, but it's, a, it's an awareness of what's going on in society. And, and more and more and more, I, I'm seeing that, that people are caving in to what is the cultural norm, what is the cultural acceptance instead of standing for what God has plainly said. Human reasoning always says it just can't be wrong when it seems so right. No matter what the Bible says. Or another approach may be how can we expect to live by the standards prescribed in a book that's more than 2,000 years old. It's not relevant. There's some, there's some cultural things that have changed. Society has changed. We've got, to, we've got to conform to the culture. We've got to conform to the way that society is going. They had a different understanding in Bible days. I just read this week that in Cuba, this dictatorial communist government is considering changing the law and allowing same-sex marriages. And I also read that the underground church, the persecuted church, Christians, Catholic as well as Protestant, have began to come together and they've circulated a petition against this and have already attained more than 500,000 signatures. Now, I want to tell you something. They're signing their names, these Christians and churches who are already persecuted, are opening the door for a whole lot more adversity and persecution. It's going to cost them something. But they're seeing this as so wrong and so evil that they're willing to put their life on the line and submit more than 500,000 signatures 
even though it's going to cost them something. Now, contrast that with two years ago when Colorado had the issue of physician-assisted suicide that came up for a vote. Hundreds of pastors, hundreds of pastors and churches were contacted about signing a similar petition. Pastors and churches who really had nothing to lose wouldn't have cost them anything. But they said, the issue is too political. We don't want to get involved. Saul started out well, but in a stressful situation, in a crisis situation, he chose to do what he felt was expedient, chose to do what he felt was convenient to appease the people. To, 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 we've got to do something here. The prophet's not showing up, so we've got to conform to this day and this circumstance. Yes, but Saul, you're doing it in direct disobedience to God, but we've got to do what is expedient here. A third indicator that Saul started out well, but he was going down a wrong direction. He became jealous and envious of God's favor on another. Would you look at verse 13? And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established. The Lord had intended. His intention was to establish your kingdom over Israel forever. Wow, what a loss. What an amazing loss. Verse 14, but now... Because of your disobedience, your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Saul at this point did not know who this successor was going to be. He didn't know who God had taken the mantle off of him and placed it. He didn't know who that person was. But when Saul found out who that successor was, when Saul found out who was the one that was going to take his place in chapter 18, it says that Saul began to despise David because God had taken the mantle off of him and placed it on David. He became bitter. He became angry over and over and over for the remainder of the chapters all the way to the end of the book. He tried to kill David, to harm David. He began to despise David. It said that evil spirits would come upon him, and in a rage he would try to throw a javelin at, at David. Saul began to despise David because God's favor and blessing was clearly now upon David. You know, that can happen to people. I have known of even, even church leaders and pastors who in their later... I'm talking about finishing well. I'm talking about finishing well. I've known of even pastors who in their later years became so bitter and critical of the success of other pastors and churches doing God's work. That's wrong. Don't be envious of the success of another. Bless them.
don't curse them. You know, as human beings in our, in our carnal na nature, carnal state, our, our favorite pastime is talking about people. I know none of you do that here ever. But you got to be careful about this. You got to be so careful. Saul began to despise the one who God's favor had turned towards. God doesn't want us to compare ourselves with others. In fact, he teaches that in 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to go ahead and read that right now. I don't usually do that, but I'm just going to turn that aside. Paul was teaching these, these uh, people in Corinth. He says, for we dare not class ourselves. Class is a comparison word, isn't it? We dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves, that's a, that's a comparison word. Measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. We, however, what does God want us to do? Will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us. A sphere which especially includes you. You know, when I think about the parable of the talents, he said he gave to, to one, you know, five talents. He gave to another two talents. He gave to another. I may be a one talent. And I can look at the guy. I can look at Pastor Scott and see what a brilliant guy. He's handsome. He's young. Oh, to be young again. That's what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about finishing well. He's handsome. He's young. He's smart. He's got giftings and talents. He's a five-talent guy. And then I look at myself and I, wait a minute. I'm only a two-talent guy. You know what the right attitude and the right heart is? God. I thank you for Pastor Scott. I bless him. I thank you that favor and grace is on his life. And I thank you that in your scheme and your handing out gifts that you saw fit to give me at least one or two talents. That's how you finish well. That's how you finish well. Life is too short and God is too good for you to allow bitterness to eat at your insides because of disappointments and unmet expectations. How sad the words to Saul in these verses we just read, verses 13 and 14. God said the Lord would have established, Samuel said the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. And here's the key. It says the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. You say, wait a minute. That, that, that successor was David. Whoo! David did some bad things. David would not be perfect. David sinned. But the difference is for Saul, Saul was king. And he did anything and everything to protect and keep his position. For David, the Lord was king. 
Making God king is acknowledging that everything I've done, everything I have has been by his blessings, his power, his grace in my life. I'm talking about finishing well. I read a story some years ago. It was uh, uh, during the Olympic time, and they were, somebody was telling a story about the 1904 Olympics. How many of you remember the 1904? No, of course not. 1904 Olympics. A small Cuban mail carrier by the name of Felix Carvajal knew that he could run. He could run and run and run and run almost with no exhaustion. He knew that he had a, just an uncanny, just an amazing ability to run long distances and never tire. And he heard about the Olympics in St. Louis, Missouri, 1904. And he began to think, if I could, if I could get to the Olympics, I can win. So he quit his job as a, as a postal mail carrier and he began to beg for money on the streets of Havana. And when he had enough money to hitch a ride on a banana boat coming to the United States, he arrived in Miami with just a little suitcase, the clothes on his back, no money, hungry, ragged. Finally, he hitched hike. He got rides all the way to St. Louis and he got to the venue where the Olympics were going to be held. Members of the American team gave him food and a place to sleep. The day of the race, all he had was his street clothes, so he cut off his pants. And wearing his street shoes, he entered the 26-mile marathon. It was an unusually hot day, and one by one, the runners collapsed. The American, I'm told, as I was reading about this, nearly died of heat exhaustion. Felix outran them all. Two miles to go, and well ahead of all the other runners, suddenly Felix relaxed. And he caught sight of an apple tree. Not having apples in Cuba... It's more of a northern fruit. He desired those apples. Two miles ahead of everybody else, he got off the track, went and picked two apples. Soon, they were probably not ripe. I mean, I don't, this was, uh, I think, August. The Olympics are typically held in August. So the apples were maybe not quite ripe, but he ate two of them. And all of a sudden, he was stricken with severe stomach cramps, doubled over in pain. In pain, he ran as best he could, and he crossed the finish line. But sadly, he ended up not with the gold, not with the silver, not with the bronze. He ended up in fourth place. He didn't finish well. 
he got distracted. Another Saul, Saul in the New Testament, started out bad. He persecuted and sought Christians to put them in prison. But he finished well. He finished well. And just before he finished the race, he said, I have fought a good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I don't know. I think this message, I, I think God put this for me. Because at this season of my life, I need to remind myself, you know, there may have been disappointments along the way. Maybe the things that as a young minister I dreamed about and hoped for and believed God for maybe didn't exactly come my way. Yes, there's been disappointments and there's been heartaches and things like that. But I'm telling you that God has put something in my heart, especially in the last couple of years, to finish the race well. To finish well. Starting, as Ravi Zacharias says, is a momentary thing. But finishing well is a lifelong thing. You just need to keep on keeping on. And as we come to the close of this message, I, I guess maybe now would be a good time to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to wrap this thing up and turn it back over to Pastor. And maybe you're here, and certainly this has not been a message about salvation and coming to Jesus, but... Maybe you're here today. We want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you say, Pastor Crosby, you've been talking about finishing. Well, I haven't even started. But in the worship service today, in the, the time of singing and worship, maybe in this time of preaching and message, the Holy Spirit has put his finger on your heart. And you know that you need to start in this thing. You need to come to Jesus. You need to surrender your life and say, I will make a start today. I will come to the Lord. I come to you just as I am, Lord. Accept me. I, I want to follow you. I want to I follow you, and I want you to wrap your arms of love and grace around me today, and he'll do that. Is there anyone here that you want to be saved? You want to come to Jesus this morning? Just lift your hand, put it right back down. Is there anyone? Maybe there's someone here today that in light of this message, you might say, Pastor Crosby, I started out well. But I've had some disappointments. I have some unmet expectations. There's been some offenses and some hurts. And I find myself allowing some roots of bitterness to spring up in my heart. And some of the things you've said, and the Holy Spirit has put his finger on this this morning. And I don't want that. I don't want that. I started out well, Pastor Crosby. When I came to Jesus, I loved everybody and I saw just everybody. But, but, I, but over the years, I've, I've seen that, that people can be people sometimes. And there's hurts and there's disappointments. But today, in light of some of the things you've said, I don't want to end badly. I want to end well. And I want God right now to wash away, to cleanse me of these roots of bitterness that are beginning to spring up in my heart. Is there anyone like that? Slip your hand up. Put it right back down. God bless you. I see hands. You know what? God's going to do that right now. God's going to give you a joy and an innocence and a, and, 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 and a perspective 
of, of looking at life and being able to put things in his hands and knowing that he's in control, you're going to be able to say, God, you know, I, my life may not have gone the way that I wanted it to go. And as you look at others that are seemingly being blessed and favored by God, there would be no hint of envy or jealousy or anything. You're going to just rejoice in the fact that you're a child of God and His grace and His favor and His blessings are on you. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, before I turn this service over to Pastor, I just pray for these that raise their hands. Lord, life is too short and God is too good to end our life poorly. To end our life with, with any kind of envy or jealousy or, or hurt or bitterness in our life. Father, I want my life to end well, and I pray in the name of Jesus that everyone who raised their hands, you're dealing with them. There's some specific thing, there's some hurt in their life that the Holy Spirit right now is going to root out and dig out, and they're going to be free in Jesus' name to live their life, finishing their life well. I thank you, Jesus. You are the only one that can do that. You are the one that can take Lord, a, a life that's just getting off track and put it right back on track. And I thank you and I bless you. I bless this church and this pastor in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Scott. God bless you. Amen.